from the creators of Relevant Magazine, it's the Relevant Podcast. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It's the week of Friday, December 19th, 2014, and this is the best of 2014 edition of the Relevant Podcast. I'm Cameron Strang, and this week's show is brought to you by Stamps.com. I mean, listen, if you haven't mailed your packages yet, you're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, you're not a good person, is what's happening here. (laughs) But never fret, instead of going all the way down to the post office and dealing with the crazy hassle of that... Everything you could do there, you can do right from your desk at stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. You can print postage for any letter or package the instant you need it, and then the mailman will pick it up and whisk it away. And right now, get this special offer when you use promo code RELEVANT. You'll get a no-risk trial, and you'll get a $110 bonus offer, including a free digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. What you do is you go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in relevant. Stamps.com, enter relevant. Well, like I said, I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studio is our illustrious producer, Chad Michael Snavely. Hello, friends. There's someone else in the studio, Cameron. Yeah, and uh, you know, Christmas is a time for for family, Mm -hmm. for for eggnog, for for hearths, (laughs) for for trees. And here with us in the studio today, I just picked him up from preschool, is my five-year-old son, Cohen. You want to say hi? No. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to say hi. Well, you... Yes. Oh, you do? Come here, come here, come here. Hi! Hey, Cohen, have you ever listened to the podcast before? Yeah. No. No. You haven't ever heard it. You've never heard this podcast. You have a little bit. Where Where have you heard of that? Here. Here? What about in the car sometimes? No, sometimes. Talking. Sometimes you come into the studio while I'm recording. Yeah. Hey, how old are you? Five. It's almost Christmas time, right? Mm-hmm. What are you hoping for for Christmas? Mm, uh, a Play-Doh SpongeBob SquarePants set. Oh, really? What did you ask Santa for? Um, Disney Infinity. That's pretty cool. All right, thanks. For, you're, you know what? You're pretty good on the microphone. Maybe you should be on the podcast one day. <laughs> That'd be cool. All right, buddy. Uh, what we what we do at the end of every year is kind of look back at the fifty one episodes that that uh, we've made. It's a lot, a lot of stuff, and there are definitely some moments that stand out. And uh, some of the music performances from our studio, some of the guests we were able to talk to. It was it's a year packed with some amazing stuff, and so that's what this this is. This is kind of some highlights, some clips from the year. And we'll kind of go between some of the conversations and some of the performances. So yeah. it's it's fun. So just sit back and and relax, and we'll have a little treat for you at the end too. Uh, a couple. There's two <laughs> two treats that this I year. know about. Two Christmas treats. Yeah, a bonus treat. <laughs> back in our May 16th episode, uh, Eddie talked to Pastor Carl Lentz from uh, Hillsong, New York. You know, Carl, he's considered a spiritual mentor to guys like Justin Bieber and Kevin Durant. But I know Carl personally, he's, he's, he's a lot more than just being a celebrity pastor. Um, in fact, that kind of stuff is not at all his heart. If you spend two minutes with Carl, if you spend two seconds with Carl, he's talking to you about Jesus. This guy's the real deal. You know what was crazy was just this past week, it came out that uh, Esquire magazine named the 35 most inf- influential people under 35. Mm-hmm. 
And it's people like LeBron James, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Mark Zuckerberg, Carl Lentz. Yeah, I saw that. Pretty Unbelievable. Cool. I, t- I texted him, I'm like, you know, with that, that emoji with the big eyes, yeah. you know? And, and he goes, dude, I do not know what happened and no way do I belong on that list. And I'm like, you know what though? That's That attitude is actually why you do belong on the list. And, you know, that's, it's amazing. It's amazing that yeah. some, a, a, a Christian leader is actually even represented in that really space. Cool. Yeah. So kicking off the highlights, here is some of Eddie's conversation with Carl Lentz. I'm struck, man. Like when I Google you, <laughs> and you must not Google yourself anymore, right? You can't do that to yourself, right? You got <laughs> you got to quit. You can't Google you. But like, there's a lot of pushback to 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 things that you said. You know, talking about behavior modification. We'll get into all that. But how does that resonate with you getting so public and being so responded to in such a large forum? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what's funny is that um, I think somebody once told me you want to make sure the right people don't like you. Mm. And I feel like uh, we are totally crushing that and doing well in that regard. Mm. Because if you were to look, the pushback comes from Christian people that just don't understand or remotely know what we're doing and don't want to. I guess dig a little deeper and give us the benefit of the doubt or even try to understand. So I'm totally okay with it. Like the people that understand us are the kind of people that, uh, you know, we want we want to be reaching. And so I, I don't even look at it as pushback as much as I do totally expected. You know, it'll be a Christian blog, a Christian this, a Christian that. And that's okay, because I think part of our goal is to make the church better and to impact the church, not mm-hmm. just lost people or those who don't know the Lord. I feel like the call on our church is to is to really help church grow. So I'm okay with it. You know, I think obviously some things will, will cut a little bit deeper than others, but by and large, I really feel like, um, you know, we've had a really awesome, you know, favor with media. You know, if you see some of the stuff that's in secular media, mm-hmm. whether it be like a news outlet or like details that are really cool article that stuff's really positive it's all it's only like the random christian stuff that just lights us up like christmas tree so it's cool you know i think it's part of the journey it is kind of remarkable <laughs> that this church is planting incredibly successful churches all over the world and churning out leaders that also love and care for their families and also like are unabashedly proclaiming the gospel. I mean, it's just like this really interesting mix where I think sometimes from an outsider, you look at it and you go, is this for real? Like, how does this really work? And I'm curious, like, what was the school like that you went to? Because this is where you met your wife, right? You went to yeah. you went to Australia. Did it, tell me about that. Yeah, Hillsong International. I'll tell you the difference is you have to do church, not just learn about it. <laughs> so why our college is special is because you're going to go to class and you're going to learn the book stuff. But you have to serve. Like, seminaries freak me out because it's all head stuff. You're hearing about preaching from a guy who's never preached. You're taking a church planning class from a guy who's never planted a church. <laughs> You're taking theories from guys who all they've ever known is theory. And it's like, that's not happening at Hillsong Church. No who's teaching junior high ministry at the Bible college? The junior high pastor, along with some other guy. You know who's going to teach you how to preach? The main guy who preaches every week. So it's like, it's, a, it's like a guerrilla warfare type um, training ground where 
I, I, I didn't know any different. Like I, I went there to go to Bible college and they said, cool, you go to class from this time to this time and then pick an area and get servants. So that's all I ever knew. And I think that there's that's special. And our church has, has had major challenges. We've mm. had major things go down. But because it's healthy, you can weather those things. Mm. Nothing has stopped God's church. Nothing has stopped this vision. It doesn't mean it's been without tears. And there's been moments where my pastors had to stand up and, and address things that are really hard. But they're healthy. Psalm 92, those who are planted in this house will flourish, even through dark days. And I think that's what I'm most proud of. You know, I also say this: I found that Christians are looking for a reason why it's not legit. And I always—it's always funny. Normally, someone will come to our church, and at least once a month, I'll get an apology from someone who will be like, "Hey, man, I came here to try to tear this down or to try to poke holes in it, and I'm sorry because I just figured there's no way that 400 people a weekend could really be getting saved if you were, you know, preaching the real gospel or." You know, I thought it was going to be this. I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we could get to the day where we actually give the benefit of the doubt to God? You know, people are just like, yeah, well, they must be doing something if people are going. Yeah, we're preaching the gospel. You know, apparently, it's good news is still good news to bad people. And the city's full of bad people. So I'm thinking people want to hear it. To hear more of that conversation with Carl Lentz, uh, make sure to check out the May 16th episode. One of the things that I love getting to do is when artists come through our studio and perform you know, their music acoustically or stripped down, kind of mm-hmm. reinterpret their music. It's so cool. And we've had some amazing performances over the years. And one of our favorite happened uh, back on our March 28th episode when us and our daughters came through the studio and performed a few songs for us. They're a husband and wife group out of Nashville, and their EP, All That We Once Were, uh, came out this year. It was recorded in an old house, and uh, it's just got that simple and raw kind of roots sound to it. Um, Their song, Tequila Eyes, I think, was a showstopper for us. Here is us and our daughters performing Tequila Eyes. I spin you around while the mariachi's playing songs we've never heard before. You're singing along to God knows what they're saying, and I've never loved you more. Your tequilas, they are drawing. So give me one more sip of your kiss Give me one more sip of your lips Cause I've never ever felt like this Like this Tell me I'm all you need And how you grow 
Was us and our daughters. If you want to check out that song and the others, uh, you can hit up the March 28th episode. Scott Harrison is the founder of Charity Water, an amazing organization that is building wells and providing clean water for people all over the world. Um, since 2006, they have funded more than 13,000 projects in 22 countries, and they've brought clean water to more than 4.6 million people. Uh, if you know their organization at all, it's an, they, they do a 100% giving model where every dollar raised um, on, like from the public goes directly to the wells. They don't take anything off the top. I love what they do. I love their model. And uh, Scott's been a friend for, for a number of years. I was actually able to talk to him back in September when they do their kind of annual September giving campaign, which is really unique thing. Uh, it was on our September 19th episode. Here's a little bit of my conversation with Scott Harrison. Well, a couple of years ago, you were on our cover, and we were telling the story of, of Charity Water and your heart uh, and your kind of your story through it all. It, that was, I was just realizing it was January of 2012. It's been two and a half years, and uh, a lot's happened with you and Charity Water since then. Give, us, give our readers an update of uh, kind of what's gone on in the last two and a half years. You know, a lot's happened with Relevant, too, over yeah. that time, yeah. which has been so exciting for, for me to watch, um, just you know, being connected to you guys for, for such a long time. Yeah. Um, la- last couple of years for us, uh, we've really just been focused on growing the movement, getting more people involved. Uh, we've expanded to a bunch of new countries. And I think, you know, a big focus on the sustainability of these projects. You know, the, the organization has uh, now funded over 13,000 
wells and springs and other various water projects in about 22 countries. And, you know, about two years ago, we said, you know, that's great. We, we, you know, we've had this incredibly generous community. We've helped um, now almost four and a half million people get clean water. But we want to make sure that those projects continue to serve the communities. And, you know, the, the best practice for, for years and, and still continues to be working with the locals, working with the local communities, kind of officially handing these water projects over to communities. Um, and, and, you know, the local communities are contributing the labor. They're donating the gravel and the sand and the rock and, you know, they're housing the well drillers. They're feeding the drillers. So there's, there's definitely, you know, involvement from day one. But we said, you know, we want to make sure that these projects are, are not just kind of serving people long enough to take the photo and send it to the donor, but, you know, that they're continuing to serve people over time. And, you know, we said, what if technology could uh, could could start tackling this problem? So we kind of came up with this crazy idea of, of a, a remote water sensor. You know, what if we could install a, you know, solar or battery operated sensor, we could put it in these remote villages, in these remote hand pumps, and it could fire data to us in New York of not only was the well working, but how much water uh, was was flowing every single day. So, you know, there's not a great market for something like this, and, and there would be, you know, years of R&D. So we, we pitched Google and, uh, and wound up uh, being the recipient of a $5 million uh, impact award from from Google, which was the the largest check they'd ever written to a nonprofit. And over the last couple of years, we've worked with uh, more than 20 different labs around the world trying to perfect this sensor and uh, and have our first one working uh, in Ethiopia. And we're now actually in production on 4,000 sensors, which we're going to start rolling out. Um, So we just, we're so excited about it. I mean, we think it could be game-changing you know, for me to be able to sit in New York and open up uh, my iPhone and see how many liters of water uh, the women and children of a remote village in Ethiopia are taking today, um, to be able to look at that data over time, even to be able to use that data to predict failure, to inform better implementation of projects, we just think the the, the transparency is going to be you know, hugely helpful, really, to our beneficiaries, the people we're serving. So I'm I'm super excited about that. One of the things that makes you guys unique is your 100% model, where every dollar that the public donates goes to a water project. Um, you don't skim any off the top for overhead and stuff. It was unheard of. It's groundbreaking. Um, why do you commit to that? You know, I think I've been very careful lately as the organization has grown so much to, to say, you know, this was right for us and this model was right for the problem we were trying to solve at the time. You know, eight years ago, as I was talking to my friends, they were saying, I don't trust charities because I think my money goes into a black hole. Yeah. I don't know how much of it will actually reach the people. I don't feel a connection to the work. And I thought, you know, what if we could just completely take that objection off the table once and for all and be able to say 100% of your money will go directly to the ground and be so crazy about the integrity of that model that we would even pay back credit card fees. So if someone gave 100 bucks using their American Express and we only got 96, we would make up the difference so we could send $100. That 
that is incredibly challenging because you have to basically start two organizations at the same time um, or, or fill two bank accounts, and then you have to run them in balance. Right? If we raise too much money for water projects but not enough money to pay our staff, you can't make payroll. Right. If you raise too much money for payroll but not enough money for your water projects, people say, oh, well, you're not efficient, and, and where's my return on investment? So it's, it is an incredibly challenging model. It's worked for us. It's been very difficult. Um, you know, eight years in, we have no plans on changing it, and, and we're in the strongest financial position that we've ever been. But I'm, I'm very careful to kind of not, you know, say everybody should have a 100% model. I think what I believe in is transparency. listening to King's Kaleidoscope. The song is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I, I believe that's from our Christmas compilation. It is. Dude, people are still tweeting about that thing. There's still time to download it Tens if you of thousands of downloads. Literally. Yeah, no. Literally. If you haven't downloaded our, our Chris, uh, I think it's called A Very Relevant Christmas Volume 4, uh, we've made it free for everyone. Uh, all you have to do is go to our website, and it's right there. Um, if you click on the drop, and you can click and download it, and it's 20 amazing tracks, and it's 100% free. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Mel Washington with the song Let It Snow. Brady Toops is a singer-songwriter from Nashville who who isn't your typical singer-songwriter from Nashville. Because how many singer-songwriters from Nashville played professional baseball for the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah, or hit a uh, game-winning, I think it was a grand slam in the uh, College World Series. No. Go to YouTube and type in way. Brady Toops Baseball, and it's the first one that comes up, and it's amazing. Wow. Well, we don't talk to him about that at all. Uh, when he came to the studio, he had on his artist hat, and he performed a number of songs for us. Uh, they were beautiful. Uh, all these performances, by the way, you can find on our YouTube channel, the relevant YouTube channel um, as well. We filmed them um, as well as recorded them here for the podcast. From our May 9th episode, performing Oh for Grace, here is Brady Tubes. Grace to lay it down all my dreams in him be found and oh for faith to keep it true and never stop believing you and when it's strong Oh, when it falls through Oh, Lord, to know My answer is you And so oh, for love To trust some more To fix my eyes on Heaven's 
shore and for home with every step every word my every breath when it's strong away falls through oh Lord to know my Serves you. And for your life, I lose my own. Cause I'm not staying here, I'm moving on. So give me strength to hold on tight. There's stormy gates. Till morning light And when it's strong Oh, when it falls through And when it's strong Oh, when it falls through And when it's strong Oh, when it falls through Oh, Lord, to know My answer is you you might see you might you might see you might when it's strong or when it falls through oh to know my answer is you That was Brady Toops. If you want to check out the rest of the performances, uh, you can find them on our May 9th episode. N.T. Wright is one of the world's leading Bible scholars. I could read you all of the universities that he has taught at, uh, but we don't have enough time. <laughs> Let me just say this. When Eddie joined our podcast, he was like, am I going to be able to do some of the interviews? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, Okay, I have like a couple bucket list people that would be amazing to talk to. Uh, one was Tim Keller, mm-hmm. and one was N.T. Wright. Yep, and he talked to both of them this past year. From our January 3rd episode, here is some of Eddie's conversation with N.T. Wright. Well, let's talk about the, the case for Psalms. Why, why make the case for Psalms? Well, um, it surprises me that one needs to make a case for the Psalms, but um, in a great many contemporary churches, something very odd has happened, really, which is that um, uh, many of the newer churches write their own worship songs, which is wonderful. I'm all in favor of people writing their own worship songs in every possible idiom, but... um, they often simply forget the psalms and you can go to many churches where if you attend week after week after week you will never ever sing or read the psalms and there's something very peculiar about that because in pretty well every branch of the christian tradition um for two thousand years the psalms have been the backbone of christian worship Mm -hmm. and certainly in in all traditional denominations but in many non-traditional ones as well it's been assumed that the psalms are the heart of, of worship and so to have 
have uh, new churches um, simply ignoring them. And I don't think it's deliberate. I don't think they've said, no, we don't want the Psalms. I think they're just so excited about the new worship songs they're doing. So um, I, I, doing this lecture, I thought, well, we need to explain why the Psalms matter, that they are not negotiable. And the, one of the strap lines of the publisher um, has, has been using is, what would Jesus sing? Which I really like, <laughs> WWJS, yeah. um, because the Psalms were the, the prayer book that Jesus himself used, and we can see in the Gospels and in the New Testament how Jesus and the early Christians used them, and it seems to me extraordinary that we would ignore that resource in our own worship. So I'm just basically making the case that says um, this is why we should actually be using them and find fresh ways of doing so. Reading this book and hearing you speak now, this feels very personal. This isn't my pastor standing up at the pulpit and telling me what to do and kind of, you have clearly, this has been such an important part of your life. You write, sing these songs and they will renew you from head to toe, from heart to mind. Pray these poems and they will sustain you on the long, hard and exhilarating road of Christian discipleship. What have these psalms meant personally to you as you continue to walk through them and sing them and read them? Uh, it's it's interesting. When I was writing the book, I was trying to answer that question, and in a sense, the whole book is my answer to that question. Mm. At the end of the book, I add a few anecdotes about special moments when the Psalms have meant particular things mm. in my life. Um, but uh, as I was reviewing that just recently, um, I realized that quite a lot of those anecdotes were from when I was quite young, and they were sort of the first impact that, that particular Psalms had on me. But now, um, you know, I have sung them so often, I've prayed them so often, I read them so often, that it's kind of layer upon layer upon layer of memory and imagination, um, out of which then particular moments emerge when a particular psalm has suddenly caught me and has meant um, a sense of of God's new direction or a sense of warning or a sense of encouragement. And uh, I look back on, on, you know, how old am I now? Nearly 65. And I suppose I started singing them when I was, I don't know, five, six, seven in, in church. Um, and it's it's impossible just to say, oh, well, this psalm means this to me and that psalm means that to me, because each of them now has, has all these layers of memory. At the end of the book, I do give some specific examples. I have one which I go back to again and again when I was a student uh, studying for an exam in theology and was wrestling with a particular problem of, of the theology of the atonement and how could all these different strands of meaning um, sit comfortably together. And I went, it was late at night, I went out into the college garden and looked up at the night sky and saw this amazing star which was twinkling sometimes red sometimes blue sometimes silver and I thought isn't that amazing it's the one star but it's got all these different colors and I came back to my desk and I thought I'm going to read the next psalm and in those uh, that time I was reading five psalms a day and so roughly um, every two or three hours I would read the next psalm and the next psalm happened to be psalm 19 which begins the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And I, I, I remember that moment very vividly. I nearly laughed out loud because that was exactly what I'd been thinking, that looking up at the sky and discovering that there were clues and signposts to the glory of God. And there in my regular reading, in just the next time that I was going to read anyway, it was saying exactly that. And there have been so many times, so many times, good times and bad, when, when that has been true, when something has leapt off the page and said, there you are. And it's almost as though God has a sense of humor 
humor. He leads you to the place where the thing which you were going to read anyway actually resonates with something very profound that's going on in your life. I was N.T. Wright. To hear more of that conversation, check out our January 3rd episode. Ellie Holcomb is a singer-songwriter from Nashville. Should we just go ahead and say that bio for every <laughs> artist? Singer-songwriter. Like, every singer-songwriter from Nashville. <laughs> Blank on our podcast is a singer-songwriter <laughs> from Nashville. Um, Ellie is married to Drew Holcomb, who you've probably heard of. They sing together on the band uh, Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. Also on our Christmas collection. Yep. Amazing song. This year, Ellie released her debut full-length studio album called As Sure As The Sun, and on our September 12th episode, she came through and performed a number of songs. Performing My Portion and My Strength, here is Ellie Holcomb. i 
You're listening to Andrew Bell. The song is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Well, you know what's good this time of year and all year long? What's that? Uh, free snacks. Oh, I love free snacks. That's right. Our <laughs> friends at Nature Box are giving you a chance to get some free snacks, folks. Not only that, but these are better snacks than whatever you're getting at the vending machine. Um, snacking's great. We can't deny it. Uh, and Nature Box keeps it great with snacks that don't have artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. And zero trans fat and definitely no high fructose corn syrup. If you get cranky because you're hungry, just grab peanut butter nom noms from Nature Box or those uh, baked sweet potato fries or dry pears. Or right in front of me, we have uh, sweet blueberry almonds, mm. sriracha roasted cashews, um, some mango orange fruit chews, which are Cohen approved. He's eating them right now. <laughs> and hey, it doesn't have to just be for beating the afternoon slump. Uh, treat yourself to some of these smarter snacks any day, anyway. Just look around at naturebox.com and see what they've got. It's all nutritionist approved and all the info is right there on the site and the box. So just go to naturebox.com slash relevant and try Naturebox for free. You'll get a trial box of five snacks. Whether it's for your home, your office, stockpiling from when you're on the go, get over to naturebox.com slash relevant and get started today. I would say if N.T. Wright was a bucket list interview for uh, Eddie... Jesse's bucket list would include <laughs> this next interview uh, with the Radio Lab guys. Radio Lab features hosts Robert Krulwich and Jad Abrumrad. It's WNYC's uh, Peabody Award-winning program that examines big questions in science, philosophy, and the human experience through compelling storytelling. It's a show about curiosity, and uh, Jesse is nothing if not curious. Uh, so <laughs> we know why he loves it. it. <laughs> So Radio Lab uh, not only became a hugely popular radio show, but now it's a hugely popular podcast as well, downloaded more than 4 million times each month. Ira Glass, one of our heroes, uh, has even said, I marvel at Radio Lab when I hear it. I feel jealous. I'm not going to say we feel jealous because clearly our show is on the same level, but, clearly. you know, whatever, Ira's jealous. <laughs> that we can, that's what we can take away. The interview appeared on our September 5th episode and also tied in with our September-October issue of Relevant um, with a really cool piece about science and faith. Here is Jesse's interview with the guys from Radiolab. That dynamic and that tension is evident on episodes, and that's part of what makes them so interesting, uh, where, where one side is more interested in sort of the mystical and one is a bit more of a, a skeptic. There's never been a time where it's been unresolvable. Uh, well, it doesn't have to be resolvable. What we have to do is what we're actually resolving is not the question in front of us. It's whether we've done it with grace. Yeah. That's the question. No, no, we're not giving anybody answers to anything, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> but what we are doing is we're saying this is the very best we can do with all of our hearts and all of our minds on this question. And all we have to agree on is that is this the best we can do? That's all. Right. That's just a new idea of grace. I think that that actually really applies. I don't know that I know what that means in a religious context, but there is something that happens when we when we're really struggling with something I mean there are stories that we go through uh, 20 drafts on mm. and there are stories where he and I have very different opinions on something and we're pushing and pulling and 
we have a lot of other people involved in the process now who are pulling us in one direction or another. But there is something that you get to at the end where you feel like you're not just resolving the piece, but you are somehow moving yourself into some new state. Yeah. It isn't a resolution. It really isn't. Um, but maybe grace is the word in, the, in an expanded sense. I don't know. Well, it's grace in the sense of graceful. Like you don't, right. you don't want to stumble to the end. You want to say, here I land. Not here I stand, because you really don't know where you stand, but here I land right. for now, because of the deadline. We have to put this on tomorrow morning at, you know, the 12 noon or something. And so, uh, and grace, not just graceful, but grace in the sense that um, you're trying for a kind of shared beauty. Not just between us, but I kind of think the, the confidence comes from thinking if Jeff, like we just went through something this week where it was over the weekend, I was looking at it, I was saying, oh, this is, you know, this is way out of whack. Here's what I think that might, we might do. And then other people threw in there two and five and 20 cents and so on. And then I listened to the, to Jed's pulling it together and graceful is a word that would describe what, what had happened. Like it had found, you know, it was, we would continue to amend it, but it had found a balance and the, the beginning belonged to the middle, which belonged to the end, and all the sides were talking to each other, and it had a flow. So when I say grace, I, it, it's, it's maybe a code word for beauty, partly, and for also not being fumbly and awkward. It's not being ugly. I guess the opposite, yeah. It's being beautiful, which means not being ugly. That's all. Yeah. And I think of it also in terms of the interior life of Radiolab is, is very... Uh, difficult sometimes. The stories are hard for us. They're not easy. I mean, you want to make them kind of just sort of dance out of the radio or in, out of the earbuds in a way that feels as if they just sort of dance their way into the world. But there's so much stress involved in trying to get them, get them there. So I think about grace in that respect, too, like that you are willing to live in the, in the crappy, unresolved midpoint of of the tension uh, uh, and just kind of live there a little bit longer until until it works. It always feels a little mysterious when it works. Mm. I think you know, the association that comes to mind is uh, Kierkegaard had, had, who, is, who had a lot of his own struggles with, with his Christianity. He had this reading of the, um, the Abraham story mm. um, where you know he goes up and God tells him to do this thing to his son and he's stuck. He doesn't want to. He, he doesn't want to disobey God, because um, that would be an offense to his faith. He doesn't want to kill his son, because that would be an offense to his family and him, all his instincts. When it was a promise, anyway. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm going to make you in the multitudes. And he said, "Wait a second. I've only I, uh, put, uh, putting aside my other son. I have this son, yeah. and I'm going to. I don't want to kill him. How, how am I going to?" How? No, that's not fair. Right. So, so in in Kierkegaard's reading of it, he reads it as like Abraham is stuck, and he decides for a long period not to choose, mm-hmm. and he sits between the two the two choices that are available to him. And it's the fact that he sits there long enough that he is offered a third a third outlet, which is grace. It's the state of grace. And so I love that idea that somehow if you sit between things. And you compose yourself. That 
the tension resolves not into an answer, but into some new state, new phase change. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow our process with every story seems to mirror that in some very, very lesser sense. And also when we encounter ideas that have a sort of a tension between science and religion, I'm always looking for that kind of resolution. Yeah. Not, because I feel like if you give in to any of the polls, you are somehow losing. I feel like you can't give in to that. I feel like there's some, the, the game is in somehow organizing the network that where all the nodes are active at once. Those were the hosts of Radio Lab. To hear more of that interview, uh, check out the September 5th episode, or you can check out our September issue as well. Gunger is the husband-wife duo of Michael and Lisa Gunger, um, and they've recently released their newest album, I Am Mountain. Way back in January, they came through the studio and performed several songs off the album. It was phenomenal. Uh, performing Long Way Off, here is Gunger. men they built a rocket and did it a target far 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 away and by the time they knew they lost it and they were a long way were a long way were a long way we're a long
That was Gunger. To check out that song and, and other performances that they did for us, you can tune in to the January 10th episode. Pete Holmes is a comedian and actor and writer and podcaster based out in L.A. Jesse is a big fan, and when we found out that Pete's backstory included uh, going to college to become a youth pastor... Uh, we were intrigued. Uh, on our May 2nd episode, and also in the May-June issue of Relevant, Jesse talked to Pete. We uh, we ran a pretty great uh, feature on him in our May-June issue uh, written by Jesse, and part of that was uh, this interview that Jesse had with him. He had his own show on TBS for a couple seasons and hosts his own podcast called You Made It Weird through the Nerdist Network. Um, here is some of Jesse's interview with Pete Holmes. I remember you talking about how you were going to be a, a, a youth pastor, or at least at one point you, you had considered mm-hmm. going into like youth ministry. But now being in comedy, do you remember a specific moment where sort of the, the switch flipped and realized doing comedy it, it requires a you know a skill set that you know being in front of people, and that was what you were going to pursue instead of ministry? Yeah, it happened. It happened. Um, Fortunately, pretty quickly. I never really got in deep with any youth ministry classes or anything. My freshman year at Gordon College, I, you know, we had to take some required Bible courses. But then I realized that I was much more into getting laughs. Whatever I did, including taking a class, I, w- I was interested in entertaining people and making them laugh. So I realized it was a very similar skill set. You know, you think I like making people feel good. I like talking. I like being listened to. I like structuring talks and stuff. And then I just, you know, kind of made it uh, exclusively about comedy. But, you know, I, I don't see too much of a difference. I know I, Rob and I talk about this all the time. I'm not burdened with the label of, of pastor. Nobody would ever confuse me with a pastor, but I still see comedy as, a, as an opportunity to sometimes inject some positivity, even if it's subtle, even if it's something basic that you think you know. It's always nice to hear it again. Something like you're doing okay, or like hang in there, or hit it back, or be playful, or be light, be, you know, be joyful, that sort of stuff. So, you know, the Christian uh, in me likes to consider comedy uh, a ministry. I do think it ministers to people, but I can talk about whatever I want. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to go up. If my pastor, or, you know, if the pastor at the church that I grew up in said, F-, he'd get in a lot of trouble. You know what I mean? Like, which, which I think is kind of absurd, because that word really comes into play so many times when you're getting emphatic about something. So I, I like that we can kind of come in from a different angle. But one of the reasons why Rob and I get along is because I think we're on the same side. And, and you know, he sees it that way, too. We're trying to expose truth, expose hypocrisies, laugh at ourselves, laugh at our faults, and, you know, at the end of the day, feel like we might be taking a little step towards being a better person or a better, you know, better world, for lack of a better way to say that. What, having your maybe religious 
belief system evolve from you know when you when you were younger and and being in these communities that challenge each other on different ideas and no matter what their background or personal outlook is if you could tell your younger self that was maybe a more traditional christian something that yeah. that you know now what what do you know what that would be have you thought about that like if you could go back and kind of give yourself wisdom that you've learned now in terms of faith and spirituality yeah i i would say that you know so much of the focus is on uh, observable sins, public sins. Like, why is there a true love waits Bible? But the, because that's a public sin. You get knocked up, you're pregnant, and everybody gets a nine-month reminder that you did something uh, wrong. Or, uh, or swearing is another one, or, or the things that you talk about, the type of jokes you make, or whatever it is. Those are all public sins, but really, I don't think that's very interesting. I, I think who we really are as a full person is far more interesting. And all of that stuff, and I'm actually kind of ripping off an idea I got from Richard Rohr, and he wrote in this wonderful book called Falling Upward. He talked about like all of that stuff, the communion and confession, or whatever your traditions are. I know that's Catholic, but whatever it is, it's just a dress rehearsal for the true uh, communion with God, which is, which is an everyday, all-the-time experience. You know what I mean? It, it's something... Yeah. That uh, that I I think all of that is just a dress rehearsal for something more exciting and more true that actually would engage people. When people get turned off by the church, they're they're afraid of people that are going to narc on them for having the third glass of wine or judge them or or whatever it is. Uh, I think that stuff is, is not compelling to anybody, and I don't think that's the sort of juice that made something like this survive all this time. listening to Future Forestry. The song is Angels We Have Heard on Medium. I think it's high. Oh, it's high. Yeah. Okay, Angels We Have Heard on High. Yeah, it's, it didn't. it's a very, very lesser known Christmas song yeah, in the medium obscure. one. Yeah, the medium one. <laughs> John Guerra is a multi-instrumentalist singer-songwriter currently living in oh, he Chicago, Illinois. Thank oh. you, John. Oh, diversity. This show is nothing if not diverse. John, if you want to make it, you might want to move. (laughs) (laughs) He has one of the most compelling and unique voices you'll ever hear, and he's one of the most interesting and intriguing artists you'll ever meet. He released his debut EP called Glass earlier this year, and you can currently stream it on The Drop at RelevantMagazine.com. From our November 14th episode, performing Wherever You Are, here is John Guerra. Take the train, you can take the car You can travel the world but not get too far You are always just where you are Don't you want to be where you are I can see you sad, I can see you down You think you're lost but cannot be You are always just where you are 
Love will find you just where you are. Wherever you go, he is there. No matter the steep hill or stair, he doesn't leave you alone with your prayer. He is as close to your friend as your own heartbeat of breath. Believe you are loved, and that he is enough. Whatever you're in, you know that he's been. Wherever you are, when your head is spinning and your life's a race, when you try so hard but you get last place, sometimes you are just where you are. Love doesn't leave you where you. Steep hill or stair, he doesn't leave you alone with your prayer. He's as close to your friend as your own heartbeat of breath. Leave you all up, and that he is enough for whatever you're in. Know that he's been wherever you are. Exactly where you've been, and he loves you, child. He loves you, so come out, come out, come out, wherever you are. Wherever you go, he is there, no matter the steep hill or stair. Doesn't leave you alone with your prayer. He is as close to your friend as your own heartbeat of breath. Believe you are loved, and that he is enough for whatever you need. Know that he's been wherever you go. He is there, no matter the steep hill or stair. He doesn't leave you alone with your prayer. Loves you so you're never alone wherever you are, and he left a throne to bring you home from wherever you are. That was John Guerra. To hear more performances from him, check out our November 14th episode. Well, this is a recent one. <laughs> Propaganda is a rapper from uh, L.A. who's been a vocal advocate for racial reconciliation. After Ferguson and, and the news out in New York and everything happening in our country, we spoke to him, and the interview actually appeared on last week's episode, hmm. the uh, December 12th episode. Such a good interview. I heard the Propaganda interview over the weekend, and... 
I mean, I'm telling you, I had chills. I read the transcript of the interview on our website. We ran a two-part thing on the web. I read it, and it was powerful. Don't get me wrong. It's powerful. But to hear the conviction and the passion and, 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 the, and the pain in his yeah. voice, yeah. man, I mean, it was like, it was so powerful. I'm glad that uh, you're running this. It appeared on the December 12th episode. Here is Tyler's interview with Propaganda. What made me interested in talking to you was uh, the tweet you sent about out about something your daughter said to you. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that story for the people who may not follow you on Twitter and then just give me your uh, your first thoughts? Yeah. So my um, my wife is also involved in like a lot of advocacy work dealing with issues of equity and justice in education. I mean, she was just born into a family of, of freedom fighters. So she already kind of knows a lot about what's happening in the world anyway. Um, so she kind of just put two and two together as we were, you know, kind of discussing with her just what was going on in the world. And then I had left to go do some shows and my wife called me and put my daughter on the phone. She was just frantic. Like, you know, I just, I want you to come home because I just, I'm seeing like when the police, when, they, when the police hurt black men, they don't go, they don't get in trouble. And... Gosh. Yeah, I froze, you know, I, I, I definitely froze, uh, and, and with cops, like the first thing I could think of was my brother is a CHP officer. So I was able to first say, Hey, you know, well, your uncle Leon is a cop, you know what I mean? And I know he loves and respects me, you know what I'm saying? And then secondly, like I was able to use it as like a, a moment to at least just tell her, like, just remember to keep daddy in prayer. You know what I mean? And daddy is, when daddy leaves the house, he's out trying to change the world. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm out sharing the gospel. I'm, trying, I'm out trying to make the world a better place for, for you and for your future siblings and stuff like that. This is why it's important that daddy leaves. It's so stuff like this doesn't happen anymore. And that's, that's all I can give her. But I, I couldn't, I really didn't have much else I could say, you know, I, I mean, her logic made perfect sense, you know. I've seen on your timeline and also on the timelines of, of other people who have spoken out, both about the Eric Garner ruling and the ruling in Ferguson about Mike Brown. Uh, you, you've spoken, you've spoken very eloquently, I think, about that and about the injustice, but you've had a lot of pushback particularly from members, it seems like, of the Christian community. Uh, where do you think that is is coming from? And, and how do you respond to people who say, well, how do we know that justice isn't being carried out? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, the, I mean, uh, off topic's hurtful. Off topic's very hurtful. I think you can pick whatever, like, pet issue or pet project it is as believers, you know, wherever you fall on 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 opinions in a story or in a or in an issue like we're called to compassion and i think that that's been my mantra to people to where i'm saying like yo you should be fighting to understand you know what i'm saying so whatever you feel or don't feel about a situation just fight to understand and know like our call is to mourn with those who are mourning you know so that's been my encouragement and so the pushback that i'm getting is people responding to particular like facts and, and, and how to deal with facts and to which I can only respond to them is I'm not even arguing facts. What I'm saying is there's a nation of people hurting and 
who are you to tell them that they don't feel pain? You know, um, so I think that that's been to so the whole thing. As far as the Christian is, as far as the Christian is concerned, I'm looking at you and I'm going, you of all people should put your arm around a hurting person. They don't need you. Don't need to know why they hurt. Like the, the greatest example is the the um, the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, of course she's wrong. You know what I'm saying? Even if the facts show, even the facts show, of course she's wrong. Christ didn't need to hash that out with her. You're hurting. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that's been the example of that. So, so, so the pushback I think comes from that, and I think why, why, what I've seen believers have responded wrongly, I think, is because I think they don't truly live an integrated life. Like their life, you don't know enough people of color. But if you knew enough people of color, once you humanize something, you know what I'm saying? You 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 become much more slow to speak. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that a lot of times that comes from living in a very homogenous uh, type of life to where your your views or your understanding is not a challenge because you're not living among it. My own road manager, he said he's from Teague, Texas, like a cow town outside of Waco. Like yeah. that's not even that's not even outside of Dallas. That's an hour from Dallas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like yeah. he he was like he goes. I'm convinced for those that make statements like this is a post-racial society or that these problems are trumped up has never spent any real time with a person of color he's like just he's like oh, we were on the road for six days and he's like in six different states and six different cities and six different people without fail have said the most ridiculous things to you you know so he's like you just have to spend time Do you feel hopeful when you when you think about this situation? Like, just looking into the future, do you feel like like things are are bound to get better? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel hopeful. It's a it's a weird anchor I have because I know at the end of the day, it's not going to be right until the Lord comes and fix it all, right? So, it, it was a crooked justice system that put Jesus on the cross. You know what I'm saying? Those were trumped up charges, you know, and a uh, and a coward like judge. You know what I'm saying? So I know. So I say I say that to say that a crooked system is not out of the control of a sovereign God. So my hope and my peace is in that. So it's like so now having said that, knowing that ultimately God is going to make all things right when He comes back, then. I am now hopeful for the one or two direct conversations I can have. And I get tweets where people are like, you know, I've never thought about this like that. You know, I'm fighting through, I'm wrestling. I get a lot of those. I get a lot of tweets that are like, yo, prop, thanks for doing this. Don't stop. You're helping me understand, you know? And um, I just speak for a whole lot of friends who kind of get the same thing. So I'm hopeful that there are people like relevant people like that. You know what I'm saying? That are like, fighting to understand fighting to uh, uh get their brains around it you know and that for me I, I i am hopeful you know um i had a long conversation with my dad maybe like an hour ago uh he was involved in the other civil rights movement he was a black panther and one thing he was just dropping jewels and one thing he said was um you know justice is a long haul like you got to be in for the long it's a long race you got to be in for the long race you know what i'm saying these things don't happen overnight and 
you got to remember that it may not be you that's going to carry the, the torch across the finish line, but it's somebody in the audience for every show you did, every show you do, it's somebody in that audience that's going to be able to take this torch a step further. You know what I mean? So he's like, always think long haul. And that for me was like, there's hope, you know? hear more of that interview uh go check out the december 12th episode or you can find a a pretty long two-part transcript of it at at the website john mark mcmillan is a singer songwriter and worship artist from charlotte north carolina okay look at this we're all over the country now i i I spoke way too soon this year he released a new album called borderland uh which kind of got back to his roots, I would say. He explored the sound a little bit this this time around. It's very fitting for him. Like the songs have kind of a primal soul mm-hmm. to them. And maybe kind of a like a raw swagger. Which if I if if, if I'm gonna describe John Mark McMillan. <laughs> it's raw swagger. Primal soul raw swagger. That that dude's got it. From our April eighteenth episode performing Holy Ghost, here is John Mark McMillan. Sometimes I wonder Mercenaries or lovers On this side of the thunder It can be awful hard to know Sell our love for the paycheck Spend the night on the freight deck For all the dues that we collect Our hearts can be overdrawn We're dead in the water Like lamb to the slaughter If the wind doesn't sing her song And I'm speaking in tongues Cause I need a holy ghost The geeks, they can smell you Even out in the cold They'll wait you out, yeah, they'll grind you down But they're gonna get what they're owed And I know the red thread unravels I know you're blue and you're black But there's still time if you don't mind way that the odds are stacked We're dead in the water like lamb to the slaughter If the wind doesn't sing her a song And I'm speaking in tongues As I need a That was John Mark McMillan. To hear more uh, performances from him, go check out the April 18th episode. Okay, before we wrap it up, this year, a lot of highlights. You just heard a bunch of them. 
Uh, last week, we reminisced about several of them. You guys have been writing in all week, telling us your favorite moments from right. the year. Um, and I think I think it's time to debut <laughs> something that happened this year, for really for the first time. Yeah. The Jingles. Here is Jingle Jams Volume 1. And if, if, if you're tuning in for the first time this week and none of what you just heard makes sense to you, um, that means you're normal. So yeah. that was the test. Right. And, but for the rest of us who heard those episodes, <laughs> uh, fond memories, fond, fond memories. Well, dude, this is the, the uh, last moments of uh, podcasts for 2014. We will be back uh, January 2nd with another 51 straight weeks <laughs> of podcasting gold. Uh, but those will be from our new studio. That's right. Everything's going to change. This is the last time we're going to be in this little 12 by 12 closet of a hot room. box of a room. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to grow up next year. Hopefully it doesn't change. Well, no. Hopefully it does change. Hopefully, it, Right. Yeah. But hopefully we don't change. Oh, we will. We're going to be far more serious and self-important. Yeah. Our jingles will sound like beautiful, orchestral, lush, like John Williams scores. <laughs> we'll have a yeah, we'll have a band shell in right. the new studio. Clearly, right. So, Hans um, Zimmer performing editorial question of the week. <laughs> oh, dude, that's what we should do. We should get real artists, singer songwriters from Nashville, probably to remix, to re- remix and our re-inter- jingles, reinterpret our jingles. I love it. I do. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, man, what a ride. So, I mean, this is literally almost like bookending an era right yep. now. Uh, last episode, last moments. It's the end of the year. Everyone, this year was a blast. Uh, the podcast grew and grew and grew. The listenership is bigger than it's ever been by far. This is the end of, let's see, we started in late 05. So this is the end of our ninth year, which is crazy. And it feels like America is just now figuring out what podcasts are. That's true. Thanks, Serial. Yeah, really. For, for making yeah. like normal people go, what's a podcast? Right. But cool. We're here. <laughs> podcast has been growing. Uh, we've had so much fun interacting with all of you on Twitter. We've loved the feedback. Uh, the show has been a blast. I've, I've heard people say many times, long-time listeners, again, we've been doing this long time, long-time listeners will point to uh, what they call the golden era when it was like Adam and Kara and Jesse uh, in-house. And uh, a lot of people I've seen reference that this is almost like a new golden era. And I would say we are having as much fun now as, as we were back then, if not more. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time. And we couldn't do it without you guys. Thanks for your support listening. Thanks for your support talking about it online, telling your friends about it. Thanks for all the kind things you say every week. And uh, thanks for subscribing to the magazine. That other thing that we do is the thing that actually keeps the lights on and makes this possible. So we appreciate your support over there as well. 
And with that, I guess we'll just say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. For Eddie Koffoltz, Jesse Carey, our celebrity reporter, Tyler Huckabee, Joy Egerich, and Shauna Nequist, I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chad Michael Snavely. And we'll see you guys January 2nd. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. Oh, bring us a piggy pudding. Oh, bring us a piggy pudding. Oh, bring us a piggy pudding and a cup of good cheer. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Relevant Podcast and get bonus material from this episode at the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And don't forget to check out the magazine. It's available on newsstands and at the iTunes App Store, or you can subscribe online at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. Well, you just managed to take the fun out of edible fireworks, so thanks. Is there one thing I don't need on this planet? It's a cheesecake addiction. The, the, the muscles from Brussels hasn't aged. Here's your crisis to one for you, Vanity Plate, and your messing up horses CD. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, I put out plenty of Craigslist ads for a falconry mentor, and I just got weird stuff in return. So my game plan is just to watch some instructional YouTube videos. Yeah, I, I run the exotic animal importing side of the relevant business out of my basement. This is how you know your city has gone in the tanks. Mythical creatures have taken over. His debut worship album was called Holy Cannoli. Eddie, 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 pump, pump, Eddie, pump the brakes, big cat. Calling your beard whispers is the most emasculating thing someone could possibly say. Now I got a little story from Lake Wobegon, this week's news. I'm actually an elected official, believe it or not. Ran unopposed. He didn't prevent you from getting moved to the dog park, but don't worry, he's got the alligators under control. Burpees, blah, blah, blah. Kipping pull-ups, Reebok, blah, blah, paleo. That is just as bad, if not worse, than I imagined it would be. And that was only a small shark. I think you buried the lead. They're selling crab legs at Publix. How fresh could those possibly be? Listen, I've been meaning to let you guys know I started buying Kashi. You know, I thought I had buckets of special things. Turns out just buckets of my dad's hair. Have fun with your motivational speeches. There's a knife fight going on at the bow house. I give my word that these virtues will be upheld to the fullest of my abilities until the day I die or forget about this whole thing and move on to something else. Eddie, there's no way I'm afraid of a Hurricane Teddy. Shut up, Eddie, and do another take. That was terrible. Scripturally, I'm in the clear here. Eddie's sinning, if anything. Put Bill Bellamy out in the court in a massive net and one designated biter, and I'm watching that game. Your initial advice is usually terrible and a lot of times illegal. This is you who's really done number on me. It's so bad I have cat leukemia. It's just me and you, mini doll me. Uh, my body is a finely tuned piano. You got the toothpick and the meatballs and you're ready to ride, man. Hey guys, pretty sweaty day. I just did six backflips. Soot me. I don't like how every time I shower, I weep because I'm alone by myself, which is the darkest time. Granola, hiking, muscles. Set your TiVos, set the DVRs, because Utopia just turned into hell. If I'm going to be crushed by anything, at least it'll be the most powerful thighs in the country. I feel like a person that should have fake dreadlocks.
when you wake up from a night terror, do you want some noodly affectionate arms or do you want the tough, strong arms of Hulk Hogan embracing you till morning? Okay, that was fun. I'll see you in the penalty box. I'll beat you on the ice in two minutes. We'll do this little dance again. Oh, no. Scooter's out. We signed a waiver. We could witness anything. Have you ever seen him make meatballs? There's a lot of hand sweat in there. Bring me meats. I'll hack them up. Don't worry. Stunningly handsome. I can't wait to open this cool knapsack box. Oh, man, it's a weird jar of somebody's hair. Dope lion. Here he comes. I vote with my holiday dollars, and they're going straight to Kirk Cameron. Thank you very much. I've made a huge mistake.